The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Lord, you've heard our prayer that you would break the bread of life to us. We know that we do not live by physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Not just written scripture, but your living word, who became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. So feed us, feed our hungry hearts, quench our thirst, in these moments as we reflect on the greatness of your provision for us of Jesus, the bread of life. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Six times this semester, I again have the privilege of opening God's word to you. And uh, I thought a a fitting hmm, farewell to you all would be for us to focus on Jesus. Good idea? I think so. So I thought of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. Now there are technically seven that are concluded with a predicate nominative, but I am the door and I am the good shepherd fit together quite well, so that fits for six meditations. And today we come to the first, I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. The whole chapter, which is extremely long, uh, is appropriate. I'm not going to read it all in the interest of the few moments that we have here. I am going to read a sizable section from verse 16 through verse 51. So let us hear the word of God. This is right after, you'll notice that first paragraph, right after Jesus has multiplied the loaves and the fish and fed thousands of people in a wilderness area. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do? to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. May God write his words on our hearts today. Well, seven times in John's gospel, Jesus says, ego a me, I am, with a predicate nominative, with a concluding. I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the door and the shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth and the life, I am the true vine. Obviously, those things tell us things about Jesus. They also tell us things about ourselves. They tell us that we have needs that only he can satisfy. We are hungry for nourishment that, unlike Israel's desert manna and the stuff on your kitchen shelves, never spoils and gives eternal life. We're benighted, needing light to show us the way. We're as vulnerable as sheep, needing a shepherd who will call us by name and protect us at the cost of his own life. We're threatened by death, We need him to be our resurrection and our life. We're confused about how to come to God. We need him to be the way and the truth and the life. And uh, he's the true vine. We need him to nourish us if we're to be fruitful. So those I am statements stand out because as you Greek scholars know, you don't need ego with a me to tell you I am. The verb form contains and tells us the subject of the verb. I am, a me, that's all you need. But these texts, Jesus puts the personal pronoun first, I am. And actually, there are other texts in John that are even more striking because they're simply those two words, I am, ego, a me. In fact, one of them, you may have noticed I tweaked the ESV a little bit when I was reading, yeah. The first one, no, the second one actually, the first one is when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. This is the second one where Jesus walks on the water 
and says to his fearful disciples, I am. Stop being afraid. ESV, a lot of English versions think, mm, that doesn't quite work in English. It is I, or I am he. But it's just I am. And uh, if you remember that this is taking place, as John tells us, at the beginning of the chapter, at the time of the Passover, the remembrance of the Exodus, the remembrance of passing through the Red Sea, um, I am is significant. I am, who identified himself as such to Moses at the burning bush, is the one that led Israel through the sea. The psalmist said it in Psalm 77, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid, the deep trembled, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That's not coincidental that Jesus says, I am, as he comes on the sea to rescue his people. Some of those very bold I am statements, probably the most glaring is chapter 858, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, and his listeners pick up stones to execute him. Why? Well, because as they will say the next time they pick up stones in chapter 10, we are ready to stone you for blasphemy because you, being man, claim to be God. Well, they got it right. He is claiming to be God, and he is fully man. The only thing they were wrong about is that they thought Jesus was wrong about that. He really is that. So all these I am statements, in a certain sense, affirm that Jesus is fully God. But now we want to focus in on these specifics. And I've now given myself even less time to talk about bread of life. But I, I want to do it. Uh, four, four observations, very briefly. Simple bread, sign bread, sovereign grace, scandal, scandalous flesh. That doesn't always work in a sermon, but sometimes you can do the alliteration thing, okay? Simple bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, not I am the filet mignon of life, <laughs> not the uh, creme brulee of life, just bread. And, and in fact, uh, if we'd read the first paragraph, we would have learned that John particularly points out that the, barley, that, that the loaves that were divided and then a couple of fish were barley loaves. Uh, the commentators I'm reading say barley was the grain of the poor. Uh, the rich folk got weak, but the, but the poor ate barley. Simple bread, just bread. Just bread. As simple, as ignorable, as like manna in the wilderness. Now, you heard that Jesus' hearers here are impressed with manna, bread from heaven. They're right. That comes from the Psalms. It was miraculous that God fed his people all those 40 years in the wilderness. Day by day, they could go out six days a week. Don't go out on the Sabbath. I'll give you enough the day before. But six days a week, when the dew dispels, there you'll find the manna. You can eat it. It's a miracle. It is absolutely a miracle. But you may remember that although these folks here are impressed with the miracle, their ancestors finally were not so impressed. Numbers 11, the people of Israel wept and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Wow, talk about bad memory, but anyway. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. 
God provided for them faithfully, they were not impressed. Simple, simple bread. That's what Jesus compares himself to. And therefore, easy to show contempt for. And of course, we hear that in this text as well, right? Jesus claims to have come down from heaven as the bread. And the Jews grumble and say, how can he say this? This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know his parents. How can he dare say this? There's the humility of the Son of God, the one on whom the Father set his seal. Simple bread he compares himself to. Not the luxurious cuisine of the wealthy, just the staff of life to keep poor folk alive, like us. But it is sign bread. The sign of manna and yesterday's feast points to Jesus. Both of them point to Jesus, the sign bread. There's something you may have noticed a little odd going on here. Actually, just before he walks on water, uh, we do read that the people saw the sign. They actually saw the sign. And that's part of the reason why they are looking for Jesus. In fact, in 6.14, it says, when they saw the sign that he had done, the multiplication of the bread, reminding them of manna through Moses, They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They remember Deuteronomy 18. The prophet is coming, like Moses. And this prophet, maybe, they think, might also be a king, because they're about to take Jesus and make him a king. And so he leaves, goes up into the mountain, sends his disciples off across the uh, sea in a boat, and he goes up onto the mountain to get away from him. He's not going to be their kind of king. He is the prophet, but he's not going to be their kind of king. So they saw the sign, and they reacted well. And the next day, when they find him in Capernaum, Jesus says, you didn't really come looking for me now because you saw signs, because you recognized what the bread was saying. You just came now because your tummies were full yesterday. That's it. You don't really see the sign for what it is. And you can tell they don't really see the sign for what it is because when he begins to talk about the work of God, they're thinking of commandment keeping. What work should we do to do the works of God? And Jesus says, here's the work. Great paradox. He's so great. (laughs) He's amazing. Here's the work. Trust. Believe in the one he sent. No, don't grit your teeth and try to do all commandments. You can't do it. You won't. Trust in the one he sent. And they react, well, okay, if you're asking us to believe, what sign do you give us? There's another lapse of memory. What about yesterday? Right? No, that doesn't count. What sign are you doing for us today? What sign to compel our belief in you? They didn't really get the point that Moses said the manna was supposed to teach Israel. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, God humbled you, he let you hunger, then he fed you with manna, which you did not know. You know, mana means, what's this? You didn't know it, mana. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus lived by that word. He quoted that word to the tempter in the wilderness. He would live by the word of his father. But more than that, he was the word of his father and the bread of life. So we kind of marvel at this crowd, that they can see those kind of signs and not get it. 
But Jesus says what's even more marvelous is that anybody like us and like them sees the signs and get it. Gets the point of the sign bread. How does that happen? Sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. Wow. It's all over here. Jesus makes it crystal clear that God's decision, the Father's sovereign choice, makes all the difference between those who fill their stomachs with barley bread and those who see it pointing to himself, the bread of life, who come to him hungry for the eternal life that he brings us. He makes the point positively and negatively. You heard both of them in the text, right? 635 and following, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's what coming means. It's believing. It's eating. That is, it's believing. It's trusting in him. But I said to you, you've seen me and do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. How can anybody come? Because the Father gave people, before they were created, before he created the universe, he gave specific people to the Son and said, these are yours. And the Son said, yes, Father, I will enter into history and I will purchase them from their penalty of death. I will liberate them from their cruel Slave master Satan, I will bring them into the family at the cost of my own life. The Father gave them to the Son, and all whom the Father has given to the Son will come to him. Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me. You think about this text, our... our, uh, our, um, Faculty conference next January is going to be focusing on uh, the, the canons of Dort and the Synod of Dort, and uh, that's from which we get the five points of Calvinism sometimes we talk about. Just think about how many of the points Jesus is teaching right here, right? Election, drawing, irresistible grace, I will lose none, the perseverance and preservation of the saints. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I'll lose nobody. They'll all come. Not this past, but the previous weekend when something was happening in Minneapolis, I think. Uh, I was there. Well, I left before cook-off, kick-off, actually. But I was there with a bunch of evangelists who uh, were out on, on the streets for seven, eight hours. Friday, Saturday, and, and the beginning of Sunday as well after we studied the word together Sunday morning in not zero weather. Um, They were there to share the gospel. Why? Because they know that the Father has given people to the Son, and all whom the Father has given will come to him. And there were people out there on the streets. I have no idea why. I I know why the 50 evangelists were there, because they knew there were other people there. But they were driven by this confidence that through the word, God draws people to the Son. In fact, as Jesus says negatively, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is the term that's used elsewhere in the Gospels for the fishermen dragging nets in. The Father draws draws us in. No one can come voluntarily on our own because we're dead in trespasses and sins and don't seek God. But the Father draws all that he's given to the Son. 
And the Son holds us fast, welcomes us, holds us fast. How can that be, that we come close to the Father, people like you, people like me? Well, the scandalous flesh explains it. See, Jesus has been talking a lot about coming down from heaven, and that offends some of his listeners. Uh, But then he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and that's even more offensive. And he's doing that very deliberately to focus on the, the shocking fact that we must depend upon his reconciling death in order to come to God. This sounds shocking even in our ears. It would have been even more in Jewish ears. Uh, to be sure, animal flesh could be slain and eaten if it's kosher. Uh, sacrificial animals, some of them even could be slain. Parts of the flesh could be eaten. Never the blood. Never the blood. The life of the animals in the blood. Never the blood. And Jesus talks about his own flesh and his own blood. Talk about shocking. Talk about shocking. But you see, Jesus does it because he's really reinforcing for them and for us the scandal of the only way we can come to God, the only way we can receive nourishment from the Holy Spirit, and that is through the sacrifice of the Son. It's through the, through the breaking of the bread. His body was not broken, not one bone was touched. John emphasizes that. He was the perfect Passover lamb, unblemished. But it was because he died that we came. And of course, remember, this is near Passover time. So not only were his audience thinking of Moses and Exodus and on into manna in the wilderness, but they were thinking of that night before they left, that night when the blood of the lamb was smeared on the lintel and the doorposts, that night when the flesh of the lamb was eaten by the households of Israel, trusting that somehow by God's promise, death would pass over because a lamb had died in the place of Israel's guilty firstborn. No less guilty than the Egyptians. The lamb died. The lamb died. The lamb of God. That's actually how John starts this gospel, right? In the beginning was the word. John the Baptist bore testimony to the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're fresh in the semester. Maybe you're not worn out, hungry, and thirsty yet. Or maybe you already are. Maybe you've looked at all the syllabi and you're terrified. Just remember, this is where you find real nourishment. This is the bread of life who laid down his life, who shed his blood to assure us of access to God and to nourish us, to give us what we need to live before him, before the Father, for his glory, and to enjoy and fellowship. Ultimately, ultimately faith, and certainly uh, there may be overtones here of the supper that Jesus, uh, all that's debated by the scholars, but the supper that Jesus ordained to remind us again and again and again that the day is coming when we will sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Encourage your hearts. Keep looking to him. Feed on him. Give thanks that the Father has drawn you 
It's the only way you would come. Praise the Lord. At the end, when some disciples leave, Jesus turns to the twelve, and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter gets it right. Peter doesn't always get it right, but this time he gets it right. He said, Lord, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Just remember that. That's where you find the words of life in the mouth of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this amazing bread of life that you've given us. Having given us to him, you gave him to us to nourish and to feed us, to satisfy the deep hunger of our hearts at the cost of his own life. And he took up his life again. He is the resurrection and the life. And so he has given us life. Thank you for drawing us to trust in Jesus. Thank you that this great bread of life holds us fast and will not lose us. May we go forward in this day with that hope and that encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction.